Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. It is our second episode of 2022, episode 158, uh, recording this on Sunday, January 9th, 2022, uh, at 4 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, we got the old band back together. We got Todd. We got Zach. Adam, we thank you for your service. Adam's spending his, his Christmas bonus. Yes. He's at, he's <laughs> Doing some pool shopping. He's going to refurnish his pool like uh, Adam Sandler did. Yes, yes. Well, uh, he will be back next week because uh, next week we're going to be revealing our top tens of, the, of 2021 and uh, and doing all that. So uh, so we'll see him again next week. But it's the three of us uh, this time. Uh, Todd, I, I have to ask you. I, I'm, we've got football going on. We're still watching it. By the time you hear this, we'll know what the playoffs look like. But uh todd i have to ask you this is is drive my car getting a best picture nomination it appears that way because over the weekend it won the the national society of film critics best picture and director and actor Actor. yeah and and screenplay i think and and screenplay so so the the stat here is it is only the sixth movie ever to win LA Film Critics, New York Film Critics, and National Society of Film Critics behind Goodfellas, Schindler's List, LA Confidential, The Hurt Locker, and The Social Network. And now and what, Drive My Car. Half of those won Best Picture? Half of them won Best Picture. All of them were nominated. Yeah, and, I mean, I, yeah. yeah, Drive My Car, I think, is getting nominated. It's, it's at least getting nominated for Best Director. Yeah, but that means people are going to have to see it. A three-hour Japanese movie about adapting Chekhov onto the screen. Um, <laughs> I really know what it's about, but yeah, okay. <laughs> I think it's it's bofo business, as Variety would say. But I do think it would be cool for it to get uh, a, a lot. I mean, wasn't there some like you know quasi parasite buzz for it because it was getting so much recognition on the award circuit? I don't think it's really like parasite i i'm not really sure what what i would compare it to it's i because it's yeah i mean it's not it's not gonna be a, a movie that's gonna make money at the box office like parasite eventually did i don't know it's because do you not think hamaguchi do you think hamaguchi gets the best director nomination yeah i i think i think director that that's the kind of thing that the oscars are doing now but i i think it's also getting nominated for best picture it's gonna have more first place votes than than a lot of those other movies that are in that like eight to fifteen range. It'll be interesting to see because I mean, Parasite had had the cred from from uh, like the, didn't it win the Palme d'Or? Isn't that where it all started with Parasite? Yeah, and... Drive My Car won screenplay at the at Cannes, but not the Palme d'Or. Yeah. So have you seen it, Todd? Yeah. Okay, so that's when you were saying it's not really about adapting Chekhov. I'm just going off of you know right. all the all the film critics who have talked about it. Well, if you yeah, if you break it down to its bare bones, and yeah, that, I mean that is like sort of part of the plot. <laughs> How would you compare the car 
in Drive My Car to Miles's car because very similar uh, uncanny similarities. Very similar. It's just too bad they weren't adapting Bukowski to the stage. That's all. That's my biggest complaint about the movie. <laughs> Before seeing it, that's your biggest complaint. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, let's let's get into into this. By the way, Todd, I ha- just have to stop my my conspiracy theory. They just carted Quandre Diggs off the field, and he's a free agent at the end of the year too. Yeah, like he was in tears, and the entire defense was in tears. The whole Legion of Boom ends their Seahawk careers in Arizona with injuries. Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, all injured in Arizona, and now Quandre Diggs. Bobby Wagner's a free agent, but he's got injured before they played there. And Jeremy Lane was injured in the Super Bowl in Arizona. That's what Todd said. <laughs> yeah. Now we're talking. Harold Simon's career ended in Arizona, but he never had one to begin with. So um <laughs> anyways. All right. Zach, what are you drinking? I'm having uh, uh, a wine that is called Bousquet. Bousquet. It has a number on it, 90. That's the number I like. I also like a number under $10, and uh, it's pretty delicious. I like it. You can drive this car any day. Wow. Everything with wheels and some things that don't. Mm-hmm. Fly a plane, drive car, drive a fire truck. Exactly. <laughs> Awesome. Todd, what do you got? Uh, Black Eagle bourbon whiskey from Princeton, Minnesota. And it's actually pretty good. Very sort nice. of cheap. That's Very oddly nice. specific. Princeton, Minnesota. When says that? I was wondering where it was from when I had to look it up. I didn't even know there was a city in Minnesota. You didn't know there was a city in Minnesota? I didn't know that was a city in Minnesota. Oh, I, that makes more sense. Um, did, did you ever hook, hook up the spigot you got for, uh, for Christmas? Yeah. Nice. Nice. It, it works pretty well. It's kind of like, uh, it actually ends up, ends up being like a bar thing because you sort of have to adjust the, the bottle in order for it to like really start pouring out. So it's like you're pulling on the, the handle on, on like a, a tapped beer. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Cool. All right. So, so my beer, I didn't get to Ridgewalker today. We were on the wrong end of town. So I went to um, the Noble Hop Beer House in Hillsboro. And, uh, and this beer is out of Bend, Oregon, out of the Boneyard Brewery. And it's called the Armored Fist Cascadian Dark Ale. And I felt like that, that, um, that fit with our, our uh, deep dive theme, the Armored Fist. It, it sounds like a nickname one of them needed to have. But yeah, it's strong. It's good. So does it carry a kick like the karate karate kick action by Cage? Just slap you in the face like that. Oh yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's not it's not necessarily that smooth, which I, I've come to expect from from these kind of strong dark ales, but uh but it's still good. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Todd, what have you been watching this week? Well, I teased it last week, but I was watching the Steve-O bucket list tour on Friday night, <laughs> which was at the Neptune Theater in the U District of Seattle, and it was awesome. They actually screwed up my tickets, and they so they had to comp me new ones, which got me in the fifth row. I was seriously 10 feet away from Steve-O. It was like Dude, one of the biggest moments nice. of my life. 
and uh, it was, he he's just a great storyteller. His last comedy special <laughs> didn't exactly have, or he had more like stunts and stuff that he would do. Like he was talking about how he was a, you know, uh, the uh, a, a trained clown and all that, and he he balanced a a ladder on his chin and stuff like that. But this one, he's just like telling stories, and then he would show a clip of something crazy he did. Like there's one thing, it's called skyjacking. Which it's Steve-O. You could probably tell what that's going to be, but he he said he always wanted to have a stunt where he would be uh, he would be able to ejaculate as he's jumping out of a plane, and so he had a clip of him doing that, and it was amazing. Steve-O is my hero. I also at the merch table. Not only did I buy this bitch and hat that says Steve-O, yeah, dude. It's a uh, I bought his hot sauce, the the hot version, which is the butthole destroyer. And man, it is seriously hot, and I love that because I'm like a hot cosmos aficionado. Yeah, Steve was my hero, and yeah, that that took that was like my what I did on Friday, and it was uh, yeah, it was it was every dollar spent well. Fifth row, I was in the fifth row. I was so close. He actually made eye contact with me. Well, I mean, with all the merch, you know. You probably stood out. I, I just I have questions, so many questions, but I think that the main one's about the, the skydiving. I mean, is this like a free solo type thing? Like, how did they get cameras up there and how did they get like what's the what's what's the dynamic of the film crew? And, uh, you know, like how, how how visible is everything? Well, he had like a camera strapped to his head, but there was also somebody who was like already out of the plane somehow. Like, cause I, I don't know, because he jumped toward them. It was weird. I mean, you'd have to see the clip. I'm sure, I'm sure that it'll eventually when he's done with this tour, that'll become because these these were all like never before seen Stevo, uh, like uh, stunts that he's done and uh, like like unaired jackass things kind of, but like they're all him on his own. So I'm sure you'll you'll see it eventually when he's done with this tour. I mean, I think all the all the stuff his body's gone through. I think it's amazing he could still ejaculate. Period. Let alone in the air. And get it filmed, and uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's monumental. Now, did he did he tease anything about Jackass Forever? Because of course, that's our number one most anticipated movie of twenty twenty two. Were there any like sneak previews, sneak clips, or something like that? No, he didn't. He didn't really talk about that. He mentioned the Jackass guys a couple of times, but he didn't really. Um, no, he didn't. He didn't. Uh, he didn't talk about the movie. But I mean, it's coming out so soon, and everyone knows it's coming out. So. And plus, this tour has been going on for a while now. I think the, like Seattle is one of it is one of the last stops. Well, yeah, everyone knows it's coming out. I saw the trailer again twice on Friday. It's back. Are you going to get a concussion watching the trailer? But you're not fifty yet, so it's okay. Well, I'm not fifty yet, so we're good. Well, he's not. I, I Knoxville's got to be like fifty-two now, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Knoxville's hair changes throughout the the trailer, which is fa- a fascinating story in itself. I can't wait till we review that movie. I think we should just deep dive the movie. Like, deep dive a movie that's in a theater. We've never done that before. That's true. That's true. Well, well, well we can deep dive it as, like, the, uh, the five-year anniversary of the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Zach, what did you watch this week? All right. I watched on Amazon uh, the Hillbilly Elegy of 2021. That is The Tender Bar, directed oh. by... George Clooney, uh, by Academy Award winner and all-around uh, crazy man, Bill Monahan. 
and uh, the script that is, and uh, starring uh, uh, Ben Affleck in a role that um, is getting him some critical attention. There's some awards out there that might be on uh, that might be given out tonight. We're, we're not going to mention them on this podcast, but he might be nominated for one of them. Uh, the the tender bar is based on a book that I actually started to read five years ago and got through about the first hundred pages and gave up on it because I thought it was really boring. And uh, yeah, big surprise, the movie's no different. I mean, the, the it's a very conventional story. Um, actually, even describing it is pretty unnecessary because everybody's already seen this movie. You've seen it 10 million times, okay? It's the uh, it's the boy whose father has abandoned him and the mother moves back in with the family in, in New York in the 1970s. And, uh, oh, you know, she's going to get, get get her act together. And while she's doing that, the boy's going to get acquainted with his uh, semi-drunk, semi-literate, uh, uh, you know, uh, uncle played by Ben Affleck who runs the bar. Now, I was kind of hoping it was going to be like the bar in uh, Gone Girl, and maybe there was going to be an Amazing Amy or something like that, but there really isn't. Listen, man, I got in this movie because I wanted a good time. I wanted some alcoholic hijinks with Ben, and we didn't get it. Instead, we got life lessons about a spoiled, rich white kid whose biggest problem in the movie is that uh, you know, he, 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 he gets into Yale and, uh, that, you know, it's, it's such a huge problem. It gives him so much angst and, uh, eventually he becomes a writer and, and his biggest problem then becomes writing an autobiography because in his white privilege, those are some serious problems that he faces. This movie was garbage. I can't believe I made it through all of it. It gets one and a half stars, but you know what? Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's Bill Monahan. So you got to throw in a reference to like Charles Dickens in there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a disappointment all around. I don't know why I watched it. Because it needed to be watched. Yeah, I really, honestly, I watched it because I knew I needed to talk about something on this podcast. See, there you go. There you go. It's not as good as a Steve-O. I, I, I'm jealous of that. <laughs> that would have been time much better spent. We're ejaculating in during a skydive. All right. So my, I've got two things I want to report on here. First, uh, my first oscar anniversary watch of 2022 so so this year i'm looking at the movies of 2012 2002 and 1992 i hadn't seen yet that were nominated for an oscar and we're we're off to a banging start because the first one nothing says high quality movie quite like a documentary nominated for or having a sole nomination for original song i mean that that screams like high quality film here um, it actually wasn't horrible. It's from 10 years ago from 2012 called Chasing Ice. Uh, and it is um, directed by Jeff Orlowski. And it tells a story of uh, National Geographic photographer James Balog, who is um, trying to find a way to capture through photographs um, the effects of global warming on our on our planet. And so he goes into the Arctic and uh, into Greenland and Alaska and Iceland and places like this and to photograph ice and and start to see how it changes. And so he he invents like this time lapse photography thing that um, is like programmed to take pictures every now and then and like places these cameras all over the Arctic circle for like six months and then goes back to see the the recession of the the glaciers and things like that. Um, it it's important work. Uh, the results of it are kind of stunning and and amazing. At the same time, I mean, this was this 
could have been like a half hour, 40 minute thing on on National Geographic, just a TV show. Instead, they made it into a movie. And even though the movie is only 75 minutes long, it's way too long. Because instead of focusing on the actual, you know, look at what is happening to our planet, it's focusing on, look what happened to our computer chip that was supposed to take all these pictures and it failed on us. Uh, it it's it's more about the photographer and not about the work and that's what's wrong with it even with that it's still interesting to look at so two and a half stars yeah i i and maybe that's why it just got a song nomination and the song's okay i mean i was like this, this must have been written by some some big name songwriter if it got um if this small movie got it it was written by j ralph so no not a small time songwriter but it was sung by Scarlett Johansson, so maybe that's why it got the wow. nomination. Um, anyways, the other thing I want to talk about is I I did my double feature on Friday night. I went and saw what we're going to talk about here in a second, but the other part of my double feature was The Kingsman, uh, which is one that none of us had seen yet, so I really wanted to see it. And I just really wanted to see it. I loved the first two Kingsman movies. Uh, they're so much fun. They're like, you know, the... Uh, a fresh take on a James Bond mission impossible type of type of deal. And this one goes back and tells the origin stories of the Kingsmen, uh, which were originated apparently by Ray Fiennes and uh, Ray Fiennes, Gemma Arterton and um, Jaiman Hansu are really the, the heart and soul of it as well as uh, Ray Fiennes son played by Harris Dickinson. Um, so this is set during world war one. And really everything that made the first two like cool and fun and just wacky, it, it strips away in this because it sets it way back in time. And so it, it, it's still an interesting movie. It, it keeps you, it, it keeps you entertained, but it doesn't really compare to the other ones. So two and a half stars for the, for the King's man. Um, it, it felt way too conventional. Uh, after what you uh, came to expect from from the Kingsman movies, so uh, so yeah, two and a half stars. There's some stuff in there I have no idea what was going on, but uh, like like Reciphons as uh, as uh, what's his name, um, um, Rasputin. I I don't know what was going on there. Uh, so yeah, two and a half. Yeah, that was another trailer I was getting very tired of. Not as entertaining a trailer as Jackass. Uh, but going back to the first movie, is it something about global warming documentaries that also makes the Academy nominate songs? Because, like, Ninconvenient Truth also got a song nomination, but it wasn't Scarlett Johansson. I believe it was Melissa Etheridge. Yeah. I mean, it, maybe. Maybe it's, it's you know, Hollywood comes out to, to try and support the film and by by contributing a song to it. I don't know. So, I still think, yeah. I still think Todd had the best weekend. Probably. I, I mean, I, I, I went and saw some live, some live stuff yesterday too. I went and saw, um, we have the bands visit the Broadway show in town. So we went and saw that yesterday. That was cool. The bands, the bands visit. Oh, like it's, it's based off the movie. They made a Broadway musical out of it. Oh, interesting. Um, the music is awesome, but everything, it, the dialogue is just too quirky and awkward that the gimmick, you lose the gimmick pretty quick. But anyways, all right, 
Well, let's get into what we're what we're really here to talk about. We're here to talk about one of the more anticipated movies we had of 2021 and then get into our first 2022 deep dive, uh, which Todd selected for us, which is going to be a whole lot of fun. So let's get into our featured review. And for this one, we are looking at the new Paul Thomas Anderson film, Licorice Pizza. But the film is a sad thing for This is faith that brought us together. But she's lived it ten times or more. Our roads took us here. She could spit in the eyes of fools. They're not my director. They ask her to focus on. Zach, you're the first one that saw this. You've been waiting to talk about it. And you waited till we saw it so you could talk about it. So we're going to you first. That is Tell true. Us. Although I have the I have the fuzziest uh, memory of it. See, now it's been like two weeks since I've seen it. So I'll I, I I'll try my best. But you guys have it fresh in your brain more than I do. Uh, Go for it. All right. Well, Licorice Pizza is uh, the new movie by Paul Thomas Anderson, a director we all know and love on this podcast. It is based uh, loosely on the life of Gary Getzman who is, I believe, a film producer in Hollywood. He's worked, and a former child actor, he's worked with Tom Hanks. Um, And obviously also somewhat based on maybe not the life experiences of the director, but also Paul Thomas Anderson's youth growing up in the San Fernando Valley in the 1970s. Uh, The movie stars uh, son of Philip Seymour Hoffman, Cooper Hoffman, as Gary, who is a uh, very charismatic uh, young actor and entrepreneur. He's always running around. He's got lots of sort of enterprising, industrious ambitions in the movie. At one point, he becomes a waterbed salesman. At another point in the movie, he opens up a pinball arcade. He's always doing something. He's very, he's not a very lazy person. He's always got lots of ideas, which is kind of cool to see. And his uh, his love in the movie, the girl he falls in love with, is uh, Alana, played by Alana Haim. And uh, she, at the beginning of the movie, is working for a photographer or school photographer. And she also reveals that she's 25 years old. She is an older woman to the very much underage Gary. But uh, through circumstances, they do get to know each other. And at various points of the movie, one feels more strongly attracted toward the other. A lot of the movie, they're just kind of friends. It never really feels like there's too much of a strong, like, romantic arc between them. They feel more like teammates or uh, co-workers or acquaintances sometimes, um, but there's always a sort of mutual love and admiration between them. Uh, the movie has a bunch of colorful scenes and sequences and characters, some of whom are based in real life. We get a somewhat, uh, we, we, we get a, a character who's somewhat based on Lucille Ball fairly early in the movie. Uh, we get uh, uh, Tom Waits, who plays the director, who I think is, according to Wikipedia, supposed to be based on Mark Robeson, but I sort of got some John Huston vibes from that character. And Bradley Cooper as John Peters, who apparently was a real person. I'm not too familiar with with that person, but I guess in real life he was dating Barbara Streisand. And of course, if you watch the trailer, uh, he is very particular about pronouncing Barbara Streisand's name correctly. Sand. Sand. Streisand. Streisand. No, no. 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 Sand. Uh, And then we also get a really fun appearance by Sean Penn who plays uh, a character. Now, originally, I was kind of getting some Steve McQueen vibes, mostly because he was on a motorcycle, but I think it's more supposed to be William Holden, who at that point in the 1970s was very much kind of down and out. Maybe this was like the network period, right? Right before Network, which was sort of his comeback movie. And uh, we get a really fun sequence with Sean Penn involving a motorcycle and uh, sort of a brief fling with with Alana. Um, This movie, if, if we're going to compare it to another 
Uh, if you're going to compare a Hattori Hanzo sword, if you're going to compare this movie to another Paul Thomas Anderson movie, uh, it has to be Inherent Vice, at least for me, because like Inherent Vice, this is a movie that <laughs> there are times when it goes on weird digressions that we're not exactly sure what Paul Thomas Anderson is doing or thinking. There are characters that kind of pop in and out. Um, we get uh, some really like fun sequences, but there's not a whole lot of strong like through line through the movie. Um, I mean, for example, there's a sequence where Gary literally gets arrested and accused of murder, and then it just kind of goes away, and there's never really any sort of context or explanation to, for it. There's another sequence kind of toward the end of the movie when Alana decides that she wants to go into politics, and she starts working, working for Benny Safdie, who's running for uh, mayor of Los Angeles in the movie. Um, you know, these threads, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of depends on your take as, as a viewer. I kind of like them. Um, it wasn't really what I was expecting from the movie. I thought the movie would be a lot more sort of just this conventional romance, boy meets girl romance, and they're kind of thrust into this big romantic heist. Uh, but the truth is, um, this movie is a bit shaggy. It's a bit, bit long-winded. It feels like a 70s movie. I don't know if it's, it's an intentional ode, but there's definitely a Hal Ashby sort of mood to this movie, maybe Robert Altman a little bit. Um, and for what it's worth, I think it's fun. Now, I do have to say, going into this movie, I had extremely high expectations for it because we're talking about trailers. I mean, that trailer <laughs> I've literally watched for the last, you know, three months. And uh, I love that trailer. I, they got the David Bowie life on Mars. I mean, it's phenomenal. This movie does have a really kicking soundtrack, too. Um, the film did not live up to my expectations. It's just not, I don't know, it feels, it's too all over the place. It's too scatterbrained. Um, and uh, we can talk maybe a little bit more detail about why, but uh, I do have to say, though, watching the trailer, there were a lot of sequences in the trailer that didn't show up in the movie, which is kind of curious to me. And it makes me think that uh, the original cut of this might have been three hours, maybe four hours, um, because it felt like there was stuff in this movie that was missing. This movie kind of felt like it was put together um, almost at the last minute, almost as though there's more pieces to it than, than what the studio was permitting PTA to show. This movie runs at two hours and 10 minutes, and it feels you know, like there's a lot of stuff crammed into it. It feels like it needs to breathe a little bit more. That being said, it's still a fun movie. The performances are great. I mean, I think Cooper Hoffman and Alana Haim are really cool actors. They, they give off just this really warm and enthusiastic vibe but they seem realistic too and uh there's some really nice touches in the movie i do I, it, it drags a bit but uh you know i had a fun time watching it um i i'm not totally sure what i think of it at this point i'm giving it three stars but i do see it potentially as a movie i could come back to maybe in a couple years and really have more admiration for it all right yeah i'll go next I, i'm kind of in a similar spot as you i i'm giving this three stars um when i watched it I left the, the theater going, what, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> I mean, cause it's, it's so, it's so not necessarily, not really what you're expecting. Like you're expecting nostalgia, but in a different way. I mean, I, I was thinking, I was hoping or expecting more like an almost famous and you get more of like a, a mash between like, once upon a time in Hollywood and boogie nights, like you throw those two together and that's kind of what you get. Um, the, the performances are great. Like you said, Cooper Hoffman, I think nails what he's doing, even though it's kind of a despicable character, even though he's just 15, 16 years old. Alana Haim, I think is, is like the, the star that comes out of this and also starring apparently her entire family, 
like her two sisters that she's in a band with play her sisters, her mom and dad play her mom and dad. And then looking at Paul Thomas Anderson's um, IMDb page, apparently he's directed like every Heim music video for the last five years or something. So that's probably how he got to know her and the family. Um, but one thing I did take away from this as I was leaving and as I was thinking about it, I realized I might not be that big of a Paul Thomas Anderson fan. Um, because all of his movies, I tend to like respect, but I don't necessarily enjoy. I mean, outside of like Boogie Nights, it's been forever since I've seen Magnolia. Uh, but I, I did like that one, but there will be blood, um, punch drunk love. It's been a long time too, but phantom thread, uh, the master, these are movies that I respect, but I don't necessarily enjoy. And I kind of feel the same way about licorice pizza right now. I, I respect it and I'm giving it a three stars out of respect, but at the same time, I didn't necessarily, it's not my thing. And so that's kind of where I'm coming Oh, what I'm coming away with here is maybe Paul Thomas Anderson just isn't for me. I can respect his work, but I'm not necessarily going to like it. So three stars. Todd. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all kind of in agreement. I I'm, I'm giving it three stars as well. I, I think what, what I love about Cooper Hoffman is it's not stunt casting. It's not like Michael Gandolfino playing his dad. Like this is not a Philip Seymour Hoffman role at all. Like, the Cooper Hoffman is just, he's not a bland lead. He's like so full of life. He's great in this movie. And I was not expecting him to act like that. I was expecting more of like a reserved thing like his father would have played. But what 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 is pro- the problem with the movie mostly is like, it's trying to be nostalgic, but it's only nostalgic in theory because like we don't get enough to make it timeless like a Days of Confused is or something like that because it's so inside its own world that we don't know anything about these characters because we don't have the backstory. Like we don't know anything about these leads, but we try to care about them because we're supposed to, but there's, there's nothing for us to really like go for. And I also think the movie's not really funny. Like, I mean, I know it's billed as a comedy and and I think it works as a drama, but even in like Phantom Thread and the master, which are deeply serious, there's still more funny moments than there are in this. I don't think I laughed a single time. It's more coming of age than it is like actual comedy. I don't know if that's a criticism, but I mean, it is billed as a comedy. But I, I think PTA is trying to make his Robert Altman movie here in by in how poorly edited it is and how long it is. Like, I mean, because I mean, this is as Altman as it gets. He's tried to make those kind of movies before, but they always are still sort of a PTA movie. But, but instead, we have like this like series of a killer five minute performances throughout this movie instead of you know, like having fully fleshed out characters, maybe this should have been more of like a four hour movie. Maybe it should have been a TV show or something. But instead, like, I feel like we're wasting these like great characters that have like five minutes of screen time. But that could have been a more fully fleshed out character in a different movie that he would he would write eventually. I mean, Bradley Cooper is awesome. You walk away like he's the lasting image of the movie just because he's Alfred Molina and Boogie Nights kind of thing. He comes in, he steals the show. He's super vulgar. He's crazy. And uh, I mean, and um. He's awesome. Alana Heim needs to be nominated for this. It's a really naturalistic performance. And uh, I, I can't believe like she's never really acted in a movie before. But I also, one thing I noticed is there's so much running in this movie. I don't know what the deal is. Like, I mean, if you string all those scenes together, it would make it look like a horror movie or something. But I mean, the, the, <laughs> the one scene 
with a where the Bowie song is playing, and as as Gary and his buddy are like running to go get gas, and they're like crossing, like uh, passing all those like stalled cars and stuff. Like that, that's like as good of a a music <laughs> moment in a PTA movie as I've seen. And there are some times during this movie where there are like this is as good as PTA has done. But in between, it's just there is just like so much baggage, like and uh, so my feelings are kind of complicated. Like I love Paul Thomas Anderson. Three of the movies have been my number one of their years, but. This is the kind of movie that I don't really want him to be making, but I'll still take it because he's only made nine movies now. And I mean, I, I basically, I, I, I have never given a thumbs down or one. And this is no different. Like I said, three stars. It's like a, it's sort of a three stars out of respect, but it's also one that I, I do want to rewatch because I could see myself getting more wrapped up in it as, uh, as I know more about uh, what my expectations should have been going in. It sounds like all three of us are like, a very reserved thrice approved here. No, I think I'm closer to three and a half than I am to two and a half. I mean, okay. I, I, I'm like, closer to two and a half. Uh, from a from a pure filmmaking standpoint, this movie looks amazing. I mean, it gets the period detail exactly from the costumes to the sets to the cinematography. It, that looks really, really cool. I, I, and uh, the movie that I was thinking about sometimes as I was watching it was Moonrise Kingdom. You know, I thought like if they're kind of like the kids from Moonrise Kingdom, except maybe like five to ten years after the events of that movie. But, you know, what made that movie kind of cool is that it just had kind of one storyline, you know, about these kids that are kind of running away from their messed up dysfunctional home lives. In this movie, it has like ten things going on. And, yeah, it's probably, I mean, you know, God forbid, God, God save me for saying this, but like... You know, we love movies, but it probably would have worked better as a Netflix show where each episode is devoted to the William Holden stuff and an episode devoted to the politics stuff, an episode devoted to the gas crisis, an episode devoted to uh, the waterbeds, you know, like all that stuff is there, but it feels cr so, so crammed in and it just needs space to breathe a little bit. There is a sequence in this movie with a with a, a truck that goes on and off. And that's like the movie to me. Like the movie feels like there are times when it really gels and then there are times when the engine just dies. And uh, I, you know, I don't know. It's like uh, he's, it, he feels very mercurial. Like he can't just focus on one thing or another. That's what makes me think it was kind of put together haphazardly in the editing booth. But at the same time, I kind of like that it's eccentric because I think these two kids are eccentric and they're not necessarily the kind of stock movie characters we get in youth romances. I mean, this is not like a freaking Nicholas Sparks movie, okay? Like, I like that PTA is a little bit esoteric and unique. So I, I, I guess I, I agree with you, Terry. You can respect the film, the, the film for what it is. That being said, it's not a perfect movie. Yeah. All right. I, I think I think that's that's we're all. I, we're all similar in in how we're how we're looking at it. It's flawed, but you you can respect what what PTA is doing here. Do you uh, think Oppenheim get... gets a nomination, Todd? I think that's the real big question coming out of this movie. I think she, I think she is right in that like four to seven range, and I I think that she probably eventually will. I, if it gets the screenplay nomination, I think that she gets nominated as well. If you're saying four to seven, who are your three locks right now? Well, I don't know that anybody's necessarily a lock, but I would, I mean, that's like Chastain, Kidman, and um, Coleman. Coleman. Stewart. Yeah. Stewart, Probably. Gaga. Yeah, Coleman over the over those two. But yeah, 
Yeah, Stewart, Gaga, and like Cruz. Penelope Cruz are all yeah. right there. Yeah. All right. Well, this is uh, it's hard to find in theaters. It is out there though, so uh, it's it's worth going to find because, I mean, I don't know why this movie isn't playing in in more theaters, especially in a weekend where you had had the three five five as the only only new release. I mean, this should have been this should have gotten a little bit of an expansion this weekend, but it didn't. So go find licorice pizza, go watch it. It will be nominated for some stuff at the Oscars. It still has, it has a shot at being a best picture nominee. Um, so uh, you, you can definitely uh, be talking about that too. So that's licorice pizza. Let's get into our deep dive now. And for our first anniversary deep dive of 2022, we are going back 25 years and going into the cager. Todd, what are we watching? We are watching Con Air. What you looking at, punk? Nothing, I was just mounting your cage. But one wrong flight. Stewardess, what's the end flight movie today? <laughs> can ruin your whole day. Go, go, go. What happened? We caught the plane, man! Welcome to Con Air. Welcome to Con Air. Yes. Yes. All right. Actually, I, I have it. I'm going to be turning it on behind me right now. And uh, and I'm going to have it on in the background while we're uh, while we're recording. So that, that's Old what school. I'm doing. <laughs> haven't done that in like two years. I know. I know. Okay. It, 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 it is running. It is running. Okay. So we're going to start with some trivia here and then before we get into, well, this is kind of our typical hijinks, but we have some other crazy stuff to talk about too. Zach, you're hosting trivia. What are we doing here? All right. So uh, we're just going to do trivia over Con Air. And uh, yeah, what do you mean what we're going to do? We're going to do trivia, right? I, I know. Who's going first? That's oh, what, okay. That's well, we're gonna, what... well, we'll, we'll Come on, Terry. man. We'll do Terry first because Todd, I think, knows this movie better than the two of us. So we'll, yeah, we'll see. Definitely. All right, Todd's gone. All right, boom, he disappeared. Okay, now you know when when this happens when we pick uh, Todd movies, you know I, I I'm starting to get after two years of doing this shit, I, I'm getting a sense of questions that will stumble Todd. Mostly <laughs> that involve numbers and geography, so that may be a theme in uh, in some of these questions. So uh, we'll see. Uh, we have eleven questions, and they're worth I believe fifteen points. Here we go. First question: Where does Nicolas Cage's wife work? I believe her name is Trisha. Where does she work? Yes. What is the name of the place that she works? Oh. Um. The bootlicking bar. I don't know. Uh, it's close. Uh, it is the oyster bar. Ah, oh, the oyster bar. Not the tender bar. Uh, I was. Yeah, I almost said the tender bar. Yeah. I'm glad. About if I that. just wanted to give up the point. All right, this is worth four points. We're getting, getting, going big early. What are the four things that Cameron receives in jail? Now, we're not going to count the letters because I think that's sort of obvious, but there are four <laughs> other things that he gets in his care package. So what are they for four points? Well, there's the there's the little red coconut things that he always gives to, to his cellmate. Well, hostess snowballs, correct. Hostess snowballs. I'll give, I'll give you the point for that. He calls them the red coconut things. 
<laughs> I, I, I think. Um, let's I mean, see you're here. watching. I, you just put it on, right? I was going to say, can I stall minutes. long enough for, for it to pop? I, they're in the oyster bar right now. Um, okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, do pictures count? Yes, pictures. Okay, pictures. Um, then two more. One, we're going for one. I mean, there the one, uh, the letters don't count. But there's like the 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 drawing from from his daughter about how, no, like no, July fourteenth, that no, doesn't that's, count. That's, that's a letter. No, it doesn't count. Two other non-letter things. Hmm. Very Gosh, curious, very curious things. They should have been very noticeable. Well, maybe they just were to me. I I don't I don't remember. Okay, a, a copy of Off Road Magazine and Cool Ranch Doritos. Oh, the Doritos! Which he's clearly not eating because he's pretty ripped. So maybe he's just uh, you know. Well, it was one bag. I mean, I one bag true. over eight years. Those Doritos will mess you up. All right. Uh, when is Casey's birthday? July 14th. Good. Yeah. AKA, AKA what day does this movie take place? Now, July 14th. I, I want to ask an additional question. Uh, this is a, just a question for Terry. I won't ask this to Todd, but Terry, do you think Todd will get that question? Yes. Okay. We're going to put down yes. They right? say he, that date like 10 yeah, yeah, times. They, it, it, would be hard to, it would be hard to miss, but okay. We'll, we'll have also, to see. It's my uncle's birthday. Well, I, don't know if he'll, I don't know if he'll remember it as that, but I do. It's also Bastille Day. Um, oh, there you go. Who has Baby O's back? Um, oh, crap. Which one's Baby O? Um, Bubba Gump. Oh, who's got Baby O's back? Cameron's got Baby O's back. No. No, no. The answer is God. Oh god. I think it's a line. I don't know. I was I was a little bit out of it last night when I wrote these questions. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think that, that extends into this question. What is Johnny 23? <laughs> what uh what is what like what does what does no, 23 no, stand? No, what, what is, is John... what is Johnny 23? <laughs> he I think it's a line of dialogue. Yeah, I mean it must be. Um well uh, I, okay, I, I it believe... should be Johnny Six Hundred. That's what he said. No, no, I I believe it's what what does uh, Cameron call Johnny Twenty Three? I'll, I'll rephrase it because I believe it's Cameron who says this. I have no clue. He says, "Ugly all day." We're gonna okay. guess that Todd probably won't get that one. I I don't um, I don't think he'll get that. Where does Poe's mom live? Um, do how, how, uh, how specific do I need to be? Like city or uh, no. state? No, well, they, I mean, that's not the answer, but where does she? And I don't know. In a trailer. Oh, God. Yeah. All right. Here, here, we're getting a little more specific here. What city did pinball land in? Oh, he landed in Fresno. That Fresno is correct, although it does not look at all like Fresno. It doesn't. It doesn't. Not at all. <laughs> How much is gas going for at the Lerner airstrip? Oh, it was like forty cents. No, it was a dollar. A dollar and three cents. Oh, okay. Or a dollar and eight cents. 
Um, what did Cyrus's daddy teach him? Nothing. Correct. I'm glad you got that one. Nothing. Um, what is the name of the plane that Pinball puts the transponder on? Oh, it's like uh, big something scenic tours. Big Tim's scenic tours. Yes, because Big Tim is <laughs> definitely in this movie. I was gonna say it was that. Was it Big Al? I wanted to say Big, big Al. Al. There are some Toy Story overlaps with this movie too, but that is not one of them. It is Uncle Bob's scenic Uncle tours. Bob. I, I will give you a half point for that. Uh, last question. According to Cyrus, what will be the last thing that little Casey Poe will ever get to smell? My breath. <laughs> My stinking breath, but I will give you uh, a point for that. Okay, so that means you got six and a half out of 15. Not bad. Not, not a bad show. Oh, we got it. We got it in the wrong order now. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on here. There we go. All right. Now with the backwards cap. Home run derby style. Okay, so we have 11 questions. We're 15 points. Terry somehow got six and a half. So we'll see how things go. Um, I, I'm, I'm allowing Todd to see the screen while, uh, while he answers the questions. Well, I don't, you know, pro probably not a good idea for some of these first ones. Um, That's very true. <laughs> okay, First question, where does Nicolas Cage's wife work? Uh, what is the name it, of the place that she the works? Na the name of the, like, bar? I don't yes. know, like... Um, I don't know. It's got to be some sort of tavern. I don't think I ever saw the name of the place. It is the Oyster Bar. Prominently displayed. I almost uh, said the Tender Bar. Yeah, we made that joke last time. Okay, uh, what this is this question is worth four points. What are the four things that Nicolas Cage receives in jail? And we're not going to count uh, the letters because that's obvious. He receives like uh, I mean, well, there's like the snowballs yes. and the and the Doritos. Correct. Um. I think I think we might be seeing in the background right about now. I actually can't even. I, there's so much of a glare. Oh, there we go. Oh, I don't know. I mean, um, uh, a bunny and the picture, right? Uh, well, the pictures count. The bunny comes at a separate time, though. I was more talking okay. about the when he gets. So I'll give you three out of four. The one you're the missing... bunny he's get he's taking. He, he well... didn't get it. Well, he ordered it. He, you know, he did the, uh, the the prison prison catalog or something and got it in the in the mail. The I guess I guess that's a real thing. Uh, he also got an issue of Off Road Magazine. Oh, okay. Because you know he's he's Nicolas Cage and he's got long hair and uh, <laughs> that means he's going to read something like Off Road. I think Magazine. I just saw it. I just saw it. He put it in his box. Well, there we go. Yeah, he put the magazine in his box. When is Casey's birthday? July 14th. Correct. We're I told you. If that I was going to trip you up. It's only repeated about 10 hundred times in this movie. Uh, who has Baby O's back? Who has his back? Like, that's, uh, that's McKelty Williamson, right? 
Yes. Yeah. So, so what it? What do you mean? Who has his back? Was that like a line that said? <laughs> I believe it's a line. There was a tasting last night when I wrote these questions. So. I mean, like Poe. No, the answer is God. <laughs> um. Yeah, I... we'll just, we'll just skip that. Uh, <laughs> Okay. In a similar vein, what is Johnny 23? How does Cameron describe Oh, yeah. Johnny How does Cameron describe Johnny 23? Thank you. Wait, Cameron or Cyrus? Cameron. Well, I'm not sure. How is so, Johnny somebody. 23 described? Cyrus, I believe it's Cameron, Cy though. Well, Cyrus says uh, you're somewhere between a cockroach and that white stuff that accumulates at the corner of your mouth when you're really thirsty. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> Okay, that's not what I'm talking that, about, but I'm going to give you a point. Give him the point. Give him the that, point, because that's one of the best lines in the movie. No, I, I, think that, I think it's what uh, Nicolas Cage says to him, which is that he's ugly all day. Wow, I don't remember that line. Yeah, you but picked I, the, the, the least impressive line of how, how to describe Johnny. Did you get that, Terry? No. I said he's described as should have been Johnny 600. Wait, that's, <laughs> isn't it like... It's, a, it's more than that, in like 6,000 or something. I can't remember. I that. don't remember. I thought he said 600. All right. Uh, where does Poe's mom live? I have no idea. In a trailer. Uh, what? Well, okay. I, that's well, that's yeah. what I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> These questions what, suck. What type of establishment? <laughs> not, not, not where. I was thinking of like an actual city. That's what I well, yeah. All right. Uh, Moving on. What city did Pinball land in? Oh. I got this one. It's geography. Geography and numbers, man. That's what Trips taught up. Well, no, it's... Uh, he... It's like... Uh, 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 it's Fresno. Correct. Nicely done. Uh, what is the price of gas at the Lerner airstrip? Now, this is shown prominently. This is not a bullshit question. I mean, it, it <laughs> I know, but I have to write down stupid. the damn numbers. Uh, it's like, shown very prominently at several I'm points. I'm gonna say a dollar twenty-five. Uh, close. It was closer than Terry's guess. Uh, it is a dollar and three cents. What did Cyrus's daddy teach him? I don't know. Duh. Don't trust anybody. You know what my dad taught me? Nothing. Yeah, Nothing. Terry got the point for yeah, that that's one. A good one. All right, two questions left. T Terry leads by a half point. What is the name of the plane that Pinball puts the transponder on? <laughs> it's like this is a good question. This is a good question. Like, it's like like Uncle Bob's tours or something. He got he was closer than I did. Uncle Bob scenic tour. Yeah, we'll, we'll give you the point. Give him for the that point. One. Give him the point. And then the last question, according to Cyrus, what what will be the last thing that little Casey Poe ever gets to smell? My stinking breath. <laughs> and with that, final score of eight to six and a half. Todd wins con air trivia. Well, there done. we go. There we go. Uh, all right. Okay, Todd, tell us about Conair and your experience with it. Okay. Nicolas Cage plays Cameron Poe, who is like an ex-ranger who gets... 
as they say, gets in a drunken fight, protecting his wife, and he killed the guy, and uh, he ends up in prison, and so uh, he's getting paroled as he's put on this plane with all these other, like, notorious criminals who are getting just transported to, like, a max security place across the country. So it is just a plane full of cons and, like, one guard. Seems like there's, like, almost no guards. And it's it's a classic '90s action movie, right in the middle of the cage. Like I'm 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 no longer just the sappy, you know, awards guy. I'm I'm going to make some money. I'm going to make some action movies, and he is awesome in this. I I've seen this movie a lot, and what I love about the movie mostly is that it's it's hardly just like a dumb action movie. Like if you break it down, because it honestly is like a really like almost romantic movie about a guy trying to get back to his wife. Like if you take away all the stupid action, there is, there is something like really genuine at, at its core. And I, I, I've always loved the movie. It's got a killer cast and John Malkovich just hamming it up as much as he does in rounders, which is saying something. I, I, I mean, I, I've, I've watched this movie probably 20 times and uh, it's, it, I think it's my favorite uh no okay maybe maybe i mean we deep dove the other great cage action movie at the time i mean i mean i like it more than face off it's right there with the rock pretty much i i love con air where does it rank on the cager oh good question that's probably something <laughs> i should have been prepared to answer i'm gonna look it up real quick uh, well he's looking that up question. well he's looking that up this was nominated believe it or not this was actually nominated for two oscars well deserved do you, do you know which two <laughs> Song, uh, right? Sound and song. Sound and song. This was one of Diane Warren's twelve losses in best song. <laughs> I haven't ranked number twenty-four on the cager. What, oh, what's, that's what's right before. That is not right high enough. It. That is just below Raising Arizona and just above the Crudes. Wow. Where's the Rock? The Rock's got to be a top. The 10. Rock is number thirteen. <clears throat> okay. I have a hard time believing there's 23 better Nicolas Cage movies than this. Well, Snake Eyes is above it. <laughs> well, it's on, a, it's on a similar level to Snake Eyes. I think you got to list it's, them off. What, what's above it? What are all of them above it? Uh, Leaving Las Vegas, Matchstick Men, Grindhouse, Adaptation, Pig, Red Rock West, Bad Lieutenant, Protocol, New Orleans, Moonstruck, Bringing Out the Dead, Mom and Dad, Mandy, Love and Tosha, The Rock, Kick-Ass, Sonny, Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse, Joe, The Trust, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Snake Eyes, Looking Glass, Knowing, and Raising Arizona. Knowing? Really? The Trust? Really? That was one of like the my favorite just random-ass like, Cajun movies that I watched. Although I've seen it once, so maybe, maybe I, I gave a little bit too much uh, initial like love to that all right well let, let's talk about let's get back to con air here so for me i mean todd you and i probably watched this for the first time at the same time but since i i've caught maybe bits and pieces on tv i don't know this might have been my second or third time actually watching it all the way through start to finish i i don't know how i missed it and how i just never did but um, there were so many things in here. I'm like, oh, I completely forgot that even happened. Or I for completely forgot that person was in this. Or like, I, I felt like I was watching a brand new movie because it had been so long since I'd watched it. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, my wife had never seen it before. So we had a lot of fun 
And she's just like, what is going on? <laughs> what is this movie? Because it is so... It's so over... Like, this this movie should have been directed by John Woo. Because that's how over the top it is. Um, well, Simon West is off, right? up there, too. Yeah, that's true. Simon West is up there. But, um... Yeah. And the screenwriter I mean, I... also wrote High Fidelity. I don't know if Zach knew that. And Gone in 60 Seconds. <laughs> I did not. Wow. So this That's is the impressive. third the third of his movies that we've deep dived in. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, The Rock, Face Off, Snake Eyes, Con Air. I mean, it, it the, he had like this three or four year run where he was making like the same movie in that he was making just this awesome action movie in and that takes itself way too seriously, which is kind of the fun of it. Um. And uh, and Con Air is like the best example of what that is. Zach, how about you? Well said. I mean, this movie has everything. You know, call it uh, being Con Malkovich, call it Nicholas Uncaged, or call it by my personal favorite, National Treasure, because Nicholas Cage is a national treasure, and this movie is a national treasure. Listen, okay, you know, you want to educate the youth of this country. And they, the youth don't watch movies anymore. They're on TikTok. And so they see the Nicolas Cage meme of him <laughs> winking. And they probably say, what is that? I've never heard of what, Nicolas Cage. What, what is that from? And so, you know, you don't show the youth of America, you know, Schindler's List. You don't show them Shakespeare in Love or Malcolm X or JFK. If you're showing them the 90s, you're going to show them a movie that is unhinged when it comes to racism and sexism and political incorrectness. You're going to show them a movie where Nicolas Cage is doing his best impersonation of Chuck Norris, kicking some ass. You're going to show them a movie where John Malkovich is masterminding a plan to take over a plane with a bunch of cons on it. You're going to show them a movie which involves the plane crash landing onto the Vegas Strip using thinly veiled, terrible green screen CGI, you're going to show them a movie that has every single Jerry Bruckheimer uh, uh, aspect to it, except somehow it wasn't directed by Jerry Bruckheimer. You're going to show them some mad guitar licks, and you're going to show them Dave Chappelle's uh, puppet, or uh, dummy, excuse me. Uh, you're going to show them a great movie. This is what made the 90s so great, is movies like this, and I believe it belongs in the National Archives. This movie is is a total uh, knockout and just a tremendous fun. And, you know, kind of, it does kind of make you think, you know, this is, this is really the start of Nicolas Cage. Okay, so he wins the Oscar and, for whatever reason, goes on this kick to do action movies. You know, that's his thing, right? And it's kind of unexpected. I mean, it would be like if the current best, who's the current best actor? Anthony Hopkins. If he became an action star <laughs> overnight, that's right. It, he would go into the woods uh, without Baldwin and shoot uh, a bear or something. Anyway, long story short, this is an amazing movie. I loved every second of it. I, it had been a long time since I had seen it. Um, I have to also, I'll just add this, you know, um, so Roger Ebert, in his review of Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie, talked about how the movie that that movie paired is making fun of, This Island Earth, was a movie that he watched, you know, in the 50s on a big screen. He thought it was actually a real movie, you know, like legitimate, authentic. It wasn't worth making fun of. I saw this movie when I was 12 years old, and I remember thinking, this is not a movie to make fun of. This is actually like a genuinely good movie. But I think in the subsequent uh, 25 years since the 
the elevation of cage or, 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 or regression of cage, whatever you want to call it. Uh, now we just make fun of this movie and, and it's not fair because Todd's right. This is a great movie. It's a monumental movie, but uh, yes, you can laugh at it. Yes. You can cry at it. It's, it's everything that a movie really should be, although it's not quite as good as the rock, but it's a, it's a very worthy successor and follow up to the rock. It's it, the dialogue isn't quite as good as the rock. It's harder <laughs> to find a, you know, memorable lines in this movie quite like in the rock. There's just less dialogue, I think, and more like loud noises. But I, one, I don't think Jerry Bruckheimer's ever directed a movie. I, so I just I looked it up. He's never directed a thing. But he's produced this movie, so it is a Bruckheimer. I was saying Michael production. Bay. My, th- how is this not a Michael Bay movie? Oh, okay. There, that but makes more sense. Bayhem, baby. <laughs> this movie had plenty of it. Well, I mean, I, I know that the movie actually... I did read something where... Um, they actually were on the strip because they destroyed part of the front of that building. Um, what was it? I wrote down, the Sands Casino, which actually was demolished later that year. They they destroyed the front part of their building, and because uh, they know like, it was getting torn down. No, be, no, because it was just random that they did that. But I mean, but it became the Venetian uh, later oh, on. Oh wow. But, uh, yeah. what, that's one of the things, I mean, we talked about it when we talked about leaving Las Vegas also, but one of the things I, I noticed about this is just how much the strip has changed. <clears throat> I mean, at that point, it was all like, like you get, you get down to the old end of the strip and you see like Circus Circus. That was like the entire strip was a bunch of, of casinos and hotels that looked like Circus Circus. And and just the like the old neon lights and stuff and and now it's all so modern and extravagant and and, and full of children, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I would say Nicolas Cage needs more like landing on the strip movies because he did that in Honeymoon in Vegas as well. But yeah, it, it's kind of impossible <laughs> if you're going to make it realistic now. So when I was at at my uh, theater watching Licorice Pizza, did you guys see the trailer for the the new Nick Cage movie where he plays himself? Yes. I did not see that one, no. But I, I've seen the. I, I've seen it before. <clears throat> yeah, the, awesome. what is it? The the unbearable weight of massive talent, something like that. Yes, I, yeah. I've been looking forward to that since I wrote my Oscar predictions last year. <laughs> out of out of, I mean, basically wishful thinking that he could be considered for something like that, but that's totally his being John Malkovich. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, uh, he, he's kind of reached a point where all he can do is really just play himself. You know, another thing I was thinking about watching this movie again is like this is the penultimate movie. Um, this is this movie combines so many different elements of movies that we've deep dived. For example, <laughs> there's a lot of speed in this movie. There's obviously a lot of the rock. There's definitely some Forrest Gump overtones in this movie. Um, you know, some obvious ones. There's a lot of Top Gun in this movie. There's also like some Thelma and Louise randomly. I, I know we haven't deep dived that movie, but like. There's definitely Thelma and Louise in this movie. There's Speed 2, which we haven't deep dived yet, but we will later this year. And there's even a little bit of Toy Story in this movie. Like, it has every single movie that we love put into one. So it feels very appropriate that uh, we are deep diving this. Well, yeah, and the 25-year thing, and the part part of it, it was like, it's part of the cager. Like, this is yeah. why I chose this. I mean, I could have chose... There's... 97 is a huge year for... Uh, for the members of this podcast, the movies we love, but like this just seems like the right place to start. I like it. I like it. By the way, I mean, just just randomly, Sunday Night Football right now is in Vegas. So, how I, do you, I, awesome. I watch the pregame show and they've got they've got the strip behind them? So, 
it's pretty cool. How, how do you plan five quarters of staying tied? That's what I want to know. Can it be done? <laughs> Todd and I were talking about this. Uh, if they go to overtime, do they just play it conservative so both can make it and screw uh, the Steelers out of a playoff so spot? End up like throwing a pick six or something. We're and, talking like... about overtime. Just do it the whole game. Just take, just you know, no no pass. Pull Belichick. Just uh, run it the whole game and uh, go for it on fourth down and don't pick it up and. That's the whole game. Zero, zero. But see, see if there was nothing else on the line, go for it. But I mean, both it is now a win and they're in for both teams unless you tie. So they, they can't they can't just do nothing. And one team has an interim coach. Yeah, with nothing to lose in Vegas. They, they're going to roll the dice. All right. Well, let's nice get into our word. Yeah, I know. Very good, you like, did you like that? Did you like that there? All right, let's get into our uh, our Mount Rushmore here, uh, because this is um, I, I'm not the only time, but maybe the first time that we uh, we saw a long haired Nicholas Cage. Um, and so Todd came up with this brilliant category. I, I, I thought I think it's awesome. Of, I feel like I should have adjusted it a little bit to be like a non period piece or something. But, you know. Mount Rushmore of act or uh, performances by men with long hair. Is that a good way to say it? I just said male movie characters with shoulder length hair. There we go. Shoulder length hair or longer or longer or longer. <clears throat> yeah, the, the, this is going to be the, this is going to be interesting here. Um, Let's see here. Are we going to say that Cameron Poe is our is our uh, consensus? Or... Yes, one hundred percent. I'm going to say yes. Okay, absolutely. Okay. All right. So, uh, okay, so Cameron Poe is 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 our uh, is our consensus pick. So we each get one pick uh, to to put up there, and and we're going to start with uh, I don't know. Let's start Go with for it, Terry. Oh, you want me to start? Yeah. You never start these things. I know I never start, <laughs> but there's there's several that I want to. Oh man, we okay. will we'll have honorable mentions. Just name the okay. one that you pick. The dude, I'm picking the dude. There we go. <laughs> I had thought about that. I mean, he's he is the dude, or his dudeness, or El Duderino. If you're not in the whole brevity thing, um, it's he's got a beverage here, man. He's in his he's in his underwear in a bathrobe and crocs in the middle of la and uh and he plays uh he play he goes bowling with a serial killer apparently according to con air so he looks ba- buscemi basically looks the same there there's my conspiracy theory i'm 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 calling it early um uh what what the hell is his character's name uh garland uh goes uh changes his name to donnie <laughs> and and ends up in LA on on Lebowski's bowling team with Walter. <laughs> but I feel like he was going to win a bunch of money at the end of Con Air. Like he wouldn't need to go do that. Yeah, go but he, out in LA. Yeah, but I, he he I I don't know. I think he would. All right, the yep. dude. That's my pick. My pick is the dude. All right, Zach's next. Todd's going last because it's his category. All right, so um. I know we're not on recasting yet, but if this movie was recast in 1997, there's only one actor who could also play this role, and that would be John Travolta. And I think John Travolta 
has also played a great character with shoulder length hair, and that is Vincent Vega. I mean, Vincent Vega, mm -hmm. if we're, I mean, we're talking about a character, a total character transformation. I think we could talk a lot about um, long hair among Tarantino characters. I have a few others in, in, in my uh, tapestry here, but that's the most iconic one. And you don't have Vincent Vega without the hair. It's perfect hair <laughs> and uh, it complements the character well. And uh, yeah, I, I, not a whole lot more to be. Maybe this category should just be Mount Rushmore 90s characters with shoulder length hair, male characters. I mean, that's pretty much what all the ones I wrote down are, but are close to it. All right, Todd. Well, I mean, in that case, I might as well go with a 90s uh, <laughs> one. I had a few that I was thinking of, and, and so I'll go with uh, Wayne Campbell. Yes. From, uh, yes. I was thinking that Wayne's too. World. I also love right. Garth, but, yeah. but I mean, I mean, it, but that that's just sort of, I guess it'd be more of the cliche pick, the the wannabe rock star, rock star fan uh, being, with the long hair. But I mean, I, I'm Wayne's World is one of those movies that we absolutely are going to have to deep dive at some point, but I'll, I'll go with that, even though there are some that would be better, but I was actually thinking Vincent Vega, too. I, ha I had Vincent Vega down. The other one I, I was wanting to go with was Russell Hammond. Oh! Yeah, I, I, all of Stillwater, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, oh, I, wow. I, yeah. I think, I think just Your like looks still... are becoming a problem. <laughs> what? I think I just think Stillwater just belongs as like an honorable mention. Like, like it, it, it's its own Mount Rushmore. I mean, I had to use uh, Larry on the last one. <laughs> Can we just go get some barbecue? Well, that's the thing is that I texted Todd and I said, "Can it be characters with hair longer than shoulder length, <laughs> aka Spinal Tap?" And surprisingly, Todd said yes. But I feel like that's almost a, ca a separate category. I think shoulder length is is a very specific fashion statement. Well, that, I mean, that's what I was saying also. It's like a lot of those are like period pieces where it, like, like I wrote down William Wallace, but I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, they all had hair that long or Thor. I mean, mm -hmm. like it, th that makes it way too easy. The only other one I had written down, which it kind of falls in that category and it's been overdone way too much, but still it's an amazing character. And that's Jack Sparrow. Or yeah. I, I, was, I also wrote down a uh, Qui-Gon. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, what, the one I was going to say, if I didn't say Wayne, was uh, Saul from Pineapple Express, which is James Franco's <laughs> character. Because, I mean, and th that is that is similar to the dude. And, like, that is just pure laziness and not wanting to cut your hair. <laughs> but uh, you, you didn't go with uh, James Franco in uh, Spring Breakers? I guess, like, yeah, I mean, but that's, like, braided, too. Like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that, that's that's different. It uh, Yeah, it feels different. Um. I had a few others too. I had, I was originally going to go with Bud from Kill Bill Volume Two, um, mm. or Travis Birkenstock from Clueless. Um, I also had uh, uh, John Cusack in Being John Malkovich as Craig. Oh, good call. Um, and good call. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Twister, Steve Buscemi in Airheads, Craig Elaine's boyfriend on Seinfeld, and then I had a, a, a athletics list. So uh, Randy Johnson, um, Aaron Rodgers, and Gardner Minshew and his father. Two two others that I thought about were uh, Nicholas Cage and Pig, and oh, uh, does he have shoulder length hair? I don't remember. That. It, it's oh, pretty yeah. close. It's, it's pretty it's, close. It's a little longer than that, isn't it? It, it it's long. It's long, uh, and and of course we we have to mention uh, Spider from No Vacancy in School of Rock. <laughs> of course, <laughs> yeah, that's good. 
<laughs> or like Bo- or like or Mike White's character in whatever his band was before that. Oh yes, good yeah. call. Although I can't remember the name of the band now. Zach, what is it? Uh, I don't remember either. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I don't remember either. And then just today, I was watching rewatching The <laughs> Office, and apparently Michael Scott had shoulder length hair when he won uh, Dunder Mifflin Salesman of the Year in 1996 and 1997. Did you know That's that, Terry? Right, I yeah, forgot so I about that. Michael Scott, yeah. And, and he got oh, and who was the guy he got the the award from? What was his? The was regional it? manager before him, uh, Ed Truck, RIP. Yeah, was oh yeah, that's yep. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's when he had to make the speech. He was telling Dwight about it. That was the episode. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Todd doesn't know what we're talking about. And and it's he just <laughs> he gave him the Hitler speech. Yep. <laughs> uh, oh, Anger moves mountains. <laughs> Rise up. Hit yeah. the table often yeah. because Jim majored in public speaking. <clears throat> yeah, of course he did. All right, let's recast Con Air. If Con Air were made today, who would be the stars of it? This is going to be fun. All right, we're starting with the one and only Cameron Poe, uh, played by Nicolas Cage. I, I'm I'm really excited for this. I think I've got a great recasting. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna start with uh, we're gonna start with Todd. Okay, obviously not great, not not a easy role to recast. It's Nicolas Cage, uh, but it, there is a good version and a bad version of this, uh, and I wrote down both of them. The bad version is the version that it gets released in February and stars Liam Hemsworth, which is yes. absolutely absolutely plausible. Yes, yeah. Yes. But the good version is the version that is starring Adam Driver and is released in like September. <laughs> And it absolutely would happen too, because I mean, it, he like that guy is just begging to be in one of these big action movies and and make a you know a, you know sixty million dollar paycheck or something, and he would be awesome. I can even see hear his voice like in some of Cameron's uh, um, Cameron's lines. I like it. I like it. How did Adam Driver not come up in the Mount Rushmore conversation? I mean, that's yeah, that's uh, every yeah, we, movie he's in. It, it oh, is. Yeah. It could it just is. be a Mount Rushmore of Adam Driver shoulder length hair. <laughs> All right, Zach. The question would be in the Adam Driver version of Con Air, is his daughter played by a uh, puppet? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine this as a musical? <laughs> yes, Leos Carax directed Con Air with Adam Driver and the puppet. <laughs> With music by Sparks, uh, I decided. Uh, so maybe start. I decided to go with. Uh, I like Todd's idea. I gotta now rethink that. A good, good casting, bad casting. Um, I only did what I thought was good casting, but it's probably ultimately bad casting. Uh, I went with someone who had to uh, kick ass and have a Southern accent. Those are really the only two requirements, and uh, the only person I could really think Nick of Cage doesn't really have a Southern accent. <laughs> well, he. I mean. He tries, kind of. We should talk about that because there was the, the, the entire movie... time we watched the movie. My wife, all she could say is, "What the hell is he doing with that <laughs> accent?" Well, <laughs> and I, I see. Here's the th- so you, you guys notice I had a lot of trivia questions about dialogue, and that's because I turned on the subtitles in this movie because I couldn't understand what Nicolas Cage was saying. So that's why uh, subsequently the the stupid dialogue questions. Uncle anyway, Bob. 
Uncle Bob is on now. Oh, there we go. And uh, his scenic flights. Um, I went with uh, Emily Blunt. Let, let's do some gender uh, transformation oh. here. Emily Blunt kicking ass. Maybe she's got an axe somewhere on the plane. Uh, we well, know good. that she uh, kicks ass and she has a Southern accent, which she did in Sicario. So, um, you know, uh, why not? So this is your orange is the new black Con Air thing. Is that what you're I doing? Don't, no, no, I'm not. Actually, she's the only woman I have cast. It's just I, I honestly had a hard a time female thinking. con on a plane <laughs> with male cons. It's possible. You know, she was defending her husband from those. Uh, I think this movie is rapists. more plausible than that. <laughs> All right, so so uh, I going off of what Zach just said. I mean, what what is Cameron Poe? Cameron Poe kicks ass, right? Cameron so Ford's I went his name by the way. I, I went with uh, with Nicholas Cage's co-star from Kick Ass, and that's Aaron Taylor Johnson. No, yeah. he sh- he should be like Cyrus I, or something. I he, he, he needs you, to be more crazy. I thought that's where Zach was going when he said Kick Ass. I realized yeah. he did. <laughs> Aaron Taylor Johnson, who who randomly has uh has a random cameo in the Kingsman. Wow, interesting. Yeah, yeah. But no, I think he could do it. But yeah, like, I like think if, so too. if you if you take his like nocturnal animals character but make him less sleazy, that that's Cameron Poe. I'm sorry, but Todd wins. Todd wins for the weekend. Todd wins with that recasting. Adam Driver's perfect. You're well, right. There, he, there really shouldn't be anyone else. Adam Driver's perfect. Yes. And Liam That's Hemsworth is definitely the, the star of the bad version of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cyrus the Virus brought to us by John Malkovich. Todd? This is where you got to have like a just a great actor who's willing to like just go for it in a in in a in a relatively bad movie like a movie that they would normally be in and i had two written down i had oscar isaac and benedict cumberbatch i kind of like cumberbatch <laughs> a little bit more than oscar isaac but both cumberbatch of them kind of fits the the the, yeah. the malkovich of it they would be yeah, they would be fascinating to watch both of them so you're saying that cyrus is in prison because uh he was arrested for something involving bronco henry like he was maybe committing the crime to protect Bronco Henry. Yes, basically. Yeah. Okay, taking the rap. Uh, breaking news! I just got an alert on my phone. Bob Saget just died. Oh wow! Wow! A lot yeah. of deaths lately. A lot of celebrities. He was just found dead in his hotel room in. Uh, Jeez. In Florida. Wow. That sounds like an overdose. Yeah, it does. You can cut. Okay. That out. Yeah, you can cut that out. Also, breaking news: said... Andrew Luck just retired. <laughs> you guys know that it, it, he lost to the Jaguars today, and he said, "That's it, I'm done." Uh, all right, Zach, who, who's your Cyrus the virus? We're not going. Well, I'm going to cross out Bob Saget. He's my original pick. Instead, I'm not not funny. We'll cut that out too soon. Uh, we're going to go with someone. I'm shocked that Todd didn't say uh, Caleb Landry Jones. He's the obvious one. Uh, <laughs> he's way too young. Way I'm too like, young. I don't Dude, think Caleb he's young. Is like less than thirty, isn't he? How old is Caleb? Okay, we're looking this up. I feel I feel confident Caleb. that Caleb Landry Jones is not that different in age he's than John. Thirty-two. Malkovich. And how John old is Malkovich? Malkovich. Maybe fifty. Now, 40s? now? Malkovich. No, is in, in, in in he was forty-four. When Forty. This was that's made. not. That's a twelve-year difference. That's not that bad. I mean, I guess, but this guy's been in prison for 25 years, which is also kind of a flaw. Okay, so they like they said his age, right? And they said he was 
arrested for kidnapping, murder, uh, robbery, and extortion. And so, so that would have made Cyrus only 14 when he actually got incarcerated. How is that possible? How <laughs> <laughs> are you going to do all of those things by the age of 14? Well, listen, his daddy didn't teach him anything. <laughs> I know. But, but yeah, apparently about how to get away with everything maybe he was like martin sheen in badlands you know he ran off with a girl and just did a pulled a bonnie and clyde and killed a bunch of people but when you're like less than 14 how are you going to get away with robbery murder extortion and kidnapping that that's impressive listen listen okay listen cooper hoffman opened up his own freaking waterbed business at 15 okay so i think and he got arrested for murder too so it's not out of the realm of possibility okay touche Way to I bring win that all argument. around, Zach. I win that <laughs> argument. You win with Adam Driver, but I win with Caleb Landry Jones. All right. My Cyrus, uh, I'm going now. My Cyrus is Michael Fassbender. Yeah, that, that, that was similar to the direction I was going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you're right. Yeah. It needs to be it needs to be like a, a good actor that just goes completely rogue. And and uh, he could totally do it. See, I went fast bender for my Johnny Twenty Three because of the sex addiction. But <laughs> we can cut that out too. <laughs> no, that's a great. That's a great line. <laughs> okay. Character. It's not like you said Army Hammer or something. <laughs> All right, next we have U.S. Marshal Agent Vince Larkin, played by apparently someone who had a role written for him by this writer before in uh, John Cusack. Uh, after. Todd. What? After. It was after, yeah, but still. All right, Todd, uh, who's your Larkin? So, I mean, again, there's a good version and a bad version. The, good, the bad version is the, the version that has Michael B. Jordan in this role. And the good version is the one that has Miles Teller because that basically is John Cusack in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'm going to go next because I also had Miles Teller. It's thrice approved, Miles Teller. (laughs) (laughs) I can't just see Michael B. Jordan being terrible. Like, this would be a terrible Michael B. Jordan role in that movie in that with him in that role. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. We really can't. This think is of Miles Teller's it. role. This Miles Teller, it was like born to play this kind of role. He was born to play. Like he, if, yeah. if there was a movie made about John Cusack, it, it would star Miles Teller. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, it's Agreed. almost like it almost wasn't worth casting because it was too obvious. Yeah. Maybe right, I'll well, go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go with Benny Safdie. There. <laughs> okay. Okay. Moving on to uh, DEA agent Duncan Malloy, played by oh, Cole Meany. Way easy, but okay. Where are um, you guys approved on this, too? We'll see. We'll see. Todd, who do you have? Uh, well, it needs to be a very angry Irish actor. <laughs> and so I went with Aiden Gillen. Who's that? Oh, because this is the kind of thing. Little Finger from uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. I don't know who that is. You don't, you know, who, you know who Aiden Gillen is, though. He's what else is he in? He's in uh he's the manager in uh in right, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh yeah, because I know that. Those uh, who wish um, me dead. God are using that. I don't think I really know this guy. The you've wire. seen you've That's seen right, Game wire. of Thrones, he's, right? He's Carcetti. Yeah, yeah I just, I, in the there's wire. 200 characters in it. 
Yeah, he, he's oh, he's the one that owns the, the brothel. Okay, you're the okay, one person that's... that doesn't watch The Wire. I forgot about that. Uh, okay. I like it. <laughs> oh wait, okay. Now I know him. Okay, hey, you guys are gonna you're gonna laugh. Here's where I know him from. <laughs> he was Deborah Winger's boyfriend in The Lovers. <laughs> that movie with uh, <laughs> Tracy Letts. That's where I know him from. Okay, I like it. He's definitely British. I remember that. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh it's a good movie. Too. Almost worth deep. Oh, yeah. That the, movie. That's, yeah. Those Who Wish Me Dead. I forgot Those Who Wish Me Dead was called Those Who Wish Me Dead. He's in Those Who Wish Me Dead? Who, who is he in that? He's the main bat, the, like the main guy who's hunting them. Oh, okay. Okay. I remember that guy. All right. <laughs> Those are the two credits that stuck out the most to me of his filmography. Not not Littlefinger, apparently. Or Game of Thrones. And not The Wire, because you don't watch The Wire. I, I, I did at one point. I'll, I'll, I'll return to it. He was the guy right. who run, like runs for mayor. Mine's mine's better than yours. That was All right. Safety, actually, but okay. Zach? Um, I, I, th I, I thought, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that we're not thrice approved on this. I thought this was so <laughs> obvious. Uh, Michael Shannon. I mean, come on. Oh. Nobody does crazy angry like he does. And I, I'm I'm not thinking of any movie where he's stolen an Apache uh, helicopter. So let's let's do it already. OK, that's long overdone. Now, I did think for a second that I would like to see James Caan in this movie. So it could be Con Air, C-A-A-N. But I, I thought about Scott. Con like Scott Malloy, Con, yeah, maybe. OK, yeah. maybe Scott. Con. I like Michael Shannon more, though. Maybe 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 James Conn is the old the old timer under the the truck with Nicolas Cage who says uh, don't don't take drugs or don't don't right. look for the needle. My uh my my pick is uh is David Harbour. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Doesn't do that just make sense? He doesn't, it, but he's only played likable roles for the last few years. I don't know. Yeah, if but he would be enough. so good at playing an unlikable guy like this. Honestly, yeah. I want to go. I want to go back thirty years and have the uh, the bad guy in, uh, or not the bad guy, but the reporter in Die Hard play this role. Either him or the guy who plays Doctor Chilton in Silence of the Lambs. Oh, like, of course, yeah. They're all yeah. like the well, same. They kind of look the same. He kind of looks like Cole Meany. He does. <laughs> um, I almost think David. No offense, Terry. I think that David Harbor almost more belongs in Todd's bad recasting. Oh. Like a, like I, I could see it going in that direction. It could, it could be that. That'd be the same movie that would star Liam Hemsworth and, and Michael B. Yeah. Jordan. That'll come out in February. <laughs> see, but but that's one I could see it go either way. Like like he could be, he could easily be in the good version or the horrible version, depending on who's around him. I'm just not sure that that's the role that he'd be playing. He he would definitely be in this movie. He'd probably be playing the the wild the, thing. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna say the the pilot from Swamp Thing, Sideways. Swamp yeah. Thing, yeah, MC yeah. Ganey. <laughs> That's not we, bad either. We have a lot of MC Ganey stuff to get to, so we got to we got to move on. Yeah, we got to keep going. All right, uh, Garland Green, played by Steve Buscemi. Todd, uh, I, I had two written down. Both are in the Batshit Crazy version, and those are uh, Macaulay Culkin and Toby <laughs> Maguire. <laughs> Both of which would be just disturbing <laughs> as hell. They have the the uh, the really slender mis like uh, physique <laughs> and just like the creepiness of just looking at them. I think Macaulay Culkin probably is the better casting, but he would never be cast. So Tobey Maguire would be the one that would get the role. 
those are good. Those are good. Zach? Yeah, Macaulay Culkin's perfect. Um, I went with grown-up Sid from Toy Story because he likes <laughs> he likes uh, tea parties and ripping the heads off dolls or women. But he's a garbage and... man. Like that that's like borderline already like a parole like like a job that you would have, right? All right. Mine if you want the creepiest possible, you go with Bill Skarsgård. Like it he but, even but looks like Buscemi. But, but Buscemi isn't creepy necessarily. I He's creepy in the fact that he is so like plain looking, normal. but he's got these big eyes. I think Macaulay Culkin's perfect. I think Todd is. This has been Todd's best recasting <laughs> showing. This is, this, this is Bravo. This is like, uh, you know, this is like well, the Jacksonville Jaguars today. His recasting has been on. The beauty of, of Buscemi is that he's kind of funny looking. You know, we say that every time, <laughs> and so he's hard to recast. <laughs> I th- is it safe to say that Bill Skarsgård might be the new Buscemi? I always there's, said I that I like. I wrote that. I wrote that Sean Hattesey was the the next Buscemi when I wrote that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The dog. But I mean, he not just a great get those big roles. But every every role in the '90s, every like villainous role, kind of went to Steve Buscemi. Okay. Uh, last, for some reason, Todd said we are recasting Trisha Poe, uh, the wife of Cameron, played by Monica Potter. Todd, who do you got? Well, I thought Monica Potter was really good in this movie, even though it's it's brief. I don't know where she went after this, but I, I wrote down Lily James, and I don't think there's really another uh, answer. Uh, there right. is another answer, and his name is John Krasinski. Oh, because 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 I went Emily with Blunt. that. Yeah, right. Now you know we can forget the fact that uh, John Krasinski is also was in the military in a few movies too, but you know maybe. She was protecting him. Apparently, Monica Potter uh, was only in thirteen movies. I thought Monica. When I was watching this, I thought she. I thought she was the mother in uh, AI, but she was not. Her most notable movie, other than this, was Saw, I guess, or Patch Adams. Patch Adams, Along Came a Spider, Last House on the Left. She was a regular in the Parenthood TV show. Well, now we're talking. Oh, Anyways, the one with, the one with uh, what's his face from Six Feet Under? Yeah, Peter Krause. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so my my thought when I thought about about uh Trisha in this movie, it, like her main role is, I, when you look at her, she she looks like a like the physical iteration of a Barbie, and and that's kind of her the point. Like she is that she's like the trophy wife, the the like perfect like barbie wife so as i was thinking about who would be recast as her i went with uh with bianca the sex doll from lars and the real girl because she actually is a real life size barbie wow <laughs> see terry right. where i thought where i thought you were going with this was uh where did i think you were going with this i, I have no remember. idea oh yeah because her name is trish i thought you were gonna go reba mcintyre I mean, I could have done that, but because no. she's a woman named Trish, you know, on the coast. Ah, I mean... Trish. <laughs> In what? Oh, you talking about that? Oh, that stupid movie. Okay. Yeah. By the way, Barb and Star were totally on uh, Uncle Mike's uh, scenic tours, right? I mean, they had to go. <laughs> Bob. Oh yeah, look Uncle at that! Bob. Oh, it's Con. It's Con Air over there. Oh, or are they shooting us down? Oh yeah, there's Cyrus the virus. I- I'd ask who Nicolas Cage would play, but he already did. Well, I don't have to watch it. Though. I lived it. Um, 
highest war performance, Zach? Obviously, Nicolas Cage. No one could do this. This is, I mean, I think we really struggled outside Adam Driver of coming up with a realistic Cameron Poe. Uh, this is clearly at the pinnacle of, of Cage uh, before the decline. Um, but it's so obvious that he's just enamored in this role and uh, it, it's perfect and unique, even if you can't really understand what he says. And there's just a little bit of Cameron Poe in his character in, uh, in uh, uh, Pig, just a little bit. The, the, the darkness, the sweat, the hair, the culinary skills, it's all there. Yeah, no one else could pull off bad acting trailer trash quite like Nicolas Cage. Um, my my highest war it's it's John Malkovich as Cyrus. I mean, he it's he's one of those guys that whenever he plays the role, it's he's all you can picture in the role because he's so unique in who he is. Not to mention he had all of the best lines. And once you hear him as John Malkovich, you can't hear them as anybody else. Like so, I Anora, is that the, the kind of quality dialogue you're talking about, Terry? No, like the thing about the, how he described Johnny Twenty Three. <laughs> like that's that that's that's a good one. It yeah. So that's my highest war, Todd. Uh, so the first one I actually wrote down was Ving Rhames because this is the role that he owned in the '90s. Yeah. He played this role all the time. I don't know if it, it's it the same role like... as Mission Impossible, and he's still playing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and but I mean, it's just as badass as Marcellus Wallace. I mean, but it, this is like the role that he played, and nobody else really played it kind of like he did. And I would never have thought Diamond Dog was as intimidating as he was if it wasn't Ving Rhames. I like it. I like it. Yeah. All right. Worst performance, Zach. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Dave Chappelle. Because he just doesn't belong in this movie, like the wise, the wise cracking, the wise crack addict. Wise, I, we may combine those. He's just, he doesn't feel right. He feels like he's out, like out of a Disney Pixar movie or something. Uh, the, the 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 delivery doesn't work. And are we really supposed to believe that he swallowed a uh, a condom with the the flammable material in it and? Then I, we could also say the worst, uh, the lowest war performance is is the dummy too. But uh, it just doesn't pay off. Him running along the plane, it's just uh, it's not good. It's it's a distraction. I don't I mean, know. I mean, every like this is like Chris Rock in the Longest Yard or something like that. Like you need that that one guy who's in there that's a stand up that 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 just is a fast talker. Like would this role be would this be replay be played today by Kevin Hart? I think he's probably too old, but I mean, it's you're he's in the too, right. He's ballpark. too big of a deal, too. Like nobody knew who Dave Chappelle was at this point. Yeah, this is more early, early Chappelle. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who who the the equivalent stand-up is at this time. If this movie was made 15 years ago, it would have been Kevin Hart. All right, okay. my pick for my pick for worst performance was uh, Brendan Kelly as Conrad. Uh, because as soon as he gets on the plane, he's kind of this big, like everyone's like, he's this big deal, but he really does nothing yet. He's this big deal. And he? He, he's the bald guy with the goatee. Oh, he, he's the guy. He's the guy that gets on. He's like, we took the plane. <laughs> hey, everybody, we took the plane. Yeah, exactly. That, that's the guy. That's the guy. Uh, and, and when, when his most notable thing acting in this movie is, isn't that the guy from the rock? 
it, that that's uh, you you no, know it's a bad performance because he does nothing. He's one of the soldiers, like like he he's like the big the big soldier. I, I think he's the guy who's isn't he the Rocket Man? No, he's not the Rocket Man. The Rocket okay. Man is the other guy. Um, but no, he's he's like one of the guys at the end that they're that they're battling to try and uh to try and take the thing. But yeah. Anyways. Okay. Yeah, right, yeah. I I, that. that that all I could think of was, oh yeah, that's the guy from The Rock, and he did nothing in this movie to differentiate himself. And yeah, that's like his only line of dialogue. Yet he's like in the heart of everything the rest of the way. So it's like he, he did nothing to to uh, make himself useful. All right, that's my pick, Todd. Well, the the real worst performance is Jose Zuniga as DEA agent Will, Willie Sims because he's really bad. But I want to talk about how John Cusack <laughs> is not right for this role because he's he's supposed to be the hero of this movie, but you never feel like you have to root for him because he is not believable and he's not likable. Like, th- there's a reason why in, like, The Frozen Ground, like, he, he and Cage flipped roles and, like, you know, uh, Cage became, like, the the, the cop and... and uh, Cusack was the the serial killer or whatever it was because Cusack is not likable as playing this kind of role. He's not likable. This is why Miles Teller is a perfect casting of this. I mean, Cusack is not right <laughs> in playing that role. And I don't know. I think he's kind of terrible. I like John Cusack overall, and I like the movie. I obviously I love the movie, but like I don't know. He's currently yelling at Cole Meany right now. I like I like the tan suit that he, he dons in this movie. It's very like Sydney Green Street in the 40s, you know? Like, who wears a suit that color, especially in, in the middle of July? How do you like, know that uh, he wore that in the 40s it was going to be black and white? Well, you know it wasn't black. Yeah, Sydney Green Street always wore white suits. You could tell. You could tell the difference between black and white, can't you? Can't you tell the difference between tan and white when it's in black and white? Well, that that's a more... That's a more uh, complex question but, but uh, i'll answer that i'll answer that who wear who wears a tan suit like that a douchebag that's who wears it okay is that answering that nice question? transition yeah i know it's but it, if it was transitioning seamless. into that category it'd be good but we've got the amazing larry award first uh for best minor character in this movie todd who do you got <sighs> okay so there's a lot. There's a lot of great yeah. minor characters. Um, the one that I was most passionate about was Conrad Good as Viking. And he has like one line, which is when um, uh, Cyrus is mapping out the plan in the sand. And Conrad Good as Viking is the guy who's like, what's that? And, and then Cyrus is like, that's a rock. It's a rock. <laughs> and he shoves it aside. And he looks at him and he makes him feel stupid. But like, I love that character because he was just being really thorough. Like Cyrus is a dick and he made him feel stupid. But that was a legitimate question. That rock was right in the middle of the plane. It looked like a huge obstacle. And like that guy was, he just like shrugged up to that. I was like, hey, I mean, I had to ask the question. Like, hey, like I wanted, I wanted more of that character. Like he, he could have a few of those other scenes. Like, there's a bunch of cons that, like, I don't really care about, but I wanted more of Viking. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. Good job. All right, Zach, who do you got? Oh, well, I think this is an obvious one, and I think it's MC Ganey. I, I think we need to start okay. the MC Ganey conversation because Swamp Thing is an amazing pilot, 
this was this was this man's life uh, journey uh, to fly the plane. And I love my favorite thing about Swamp Thing is how, how he calls everybody Big Dog or, or excuse me, Big Daddy. Yeah, we're going to land the strip. We're going to land right in the middle of the strip, Big Daddy. And uh, it's, you know, because the plane can't go one mile further to McCarran Airport. You know, they're, they're going to run out of fuel right there, even though the airport is right literally across See, that, the street. That, from yeah, the, we, we from know the this. It, it is literally a block away from the strip. <laughs> exactly. It's not a block. It, it, it's at least like two or three miles. But yeah, I mean, it's not it's not something you couldn't have gl- glidded. I, I mean, the terminal there. is two or three miles, but the, <laughs> glided? the actual the actual runway like you could get inside airport premises within like a block and a half of the strip. Well, anyway, MC Ganey is an amazing pilot. And not only that, but then he ta- he has the audacity to take command of the fire truck. And he's an amazing fire truck driver as well. And then to think that someday he ends up in Los Olivos with, um, you know, Cammy watching George W. Bush at seven in the morning. I mean, it's quite a journey that this character goes on. There's a lot more dynamism with that character than maybe any other character in the movie. And uh, he should be in every movie. It's, it's same thing with, with his uh, big dick, you know, uh, swinging dick right on Miles' car. Also the car from uh, Drive My Car, you know, it's it's right there. It's yeah. in your face. And I, I love every second of it. MC Ganey, man, for the win. Not the, not the only movie that we had a repeat uh, actor or supporting actor in uh, a deep dive. We also had Don S. Davis as Fresno Man in Car, which was the uh, League of Their Own Racine coach. Oh, oh, oh shit. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, and then, Terry, I was going to say, what about Deke Slayton? Deke Slayton shows up for like two seconds in this movie. Does and he? Then, yeah, and then There's he's never Deke seen Slayton. again. That's got to be Paul 13. Paul 13. Right? Where, yeah. what, what is he? Uh, I don't remember. He just comes in for one scene and is right. like introduced. I'm gonna have to it. find him. I'm gonna have to find him. Okay. Uh, my my favorite minor character is uh Dan Bell as the fuel jockey, the old man underneath the the car. Um, that that Poe runs into. Don't do drugs, and that's easy for you to say. You don't have to take a piss. I mean, yeah. <laughs> nice. It, he's he's. He's like the most real character of any of them. He's like, I'm hiding for my life. And I really got to pee, but, you know, I, th- this is more important. <laughs> yeah. Cool, All cool. Right. I'm going to have to look this up. Okay. Um, stick, ba- stick, stick bag. Stick bag. Stick bag. St- <laughs> stick man. <laughs> spider stick man and Billy Bat's douchebag. Uh, we're going to Zach first. All right. Well, I'm. We're gonna do the Johnny Twenty Three jokes aside, but uh, I think uh, let's see. Um, uh, not a lot of great stickman options in this movie. Uh, okay. Okay. Probably, this has to be put out there. There is a character in this movie that is billed as Stickman. Yeah. That's yes. Randy I Bones saw that as Stickman. I mean, that's got to be the agreed upon choice. We can't choose who, that one. Who right? is that? <laughs> I don't know. I tried to look it up, and I tried to figure it out while I was watching the movie. I couldn't. I guess my answer to this question would be um, Nicolas Cage, because if when at the beginning of this movie, when he goes to jail, um, it's pretty clear that his wife is already knocked up, even though she doesn't look pregnant at all. How does he impregnate her? I mean, that's some serious stick manness. I mean, oh, are she we was talking pregnant. about a con- she was well? Pregnant. Yeah, are we talking about a conjugal visit? Like, how how did that happen? 
because it doesn't make any sense because he was away. He was he was he, he was serving his tour of duty or whatever. And then he just gets back. Right. And then and then he's I, I mean, that's that, that's some incredible stickman move. Well, how old is Casey? Like what? Like six, four, five, maybe. I think she's turning six or seven on July 14th. I love that. I mean, it would have had been a contract visit. I mean, unless he got out early from his seven to ten years that he was. No, to... he was like patting her belly. Right. She was pregnant. We're right, right. Now, here's the serious conspiracy theory. How do we know he's the father? Could it not be one of those, uh, mm. uh, you know, assholes who are hanging around the bar that say, hey, you're the reason you we lost Vietnam, man? You know, like. Maybe this whole story is just an attempt to cover up the fact that uh, Trisha was banging the guys in the in the oyster bar. I don't know. Now, Move on. now we're into some serious conspiracy. Wow. Name name a bigger right. stick man. There's, there's actually a, a disappointing quantity of stick men here. Well, my my pick for stick man is pinball. Because if he actually yeah. had the time that's true. At Uncle, at Uncle Bob's game. plane. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was had, just trying he to get some game. ass. He he missed the plane because he was getting some ass, and the nigga sucked into the landing gear. Like, yeah, I mean that was my pick too. Yeah, yeah. I thought that Not was bad. A, that was a a good one. Oh man, Who? douchebag! There is an abundance of douche. douche yes, bags. yes, yes. The, there really the douche is douchebag to stick man ratio. It's always a good si- sim- signal in a movie if there's a high douchebag to stick man ratio. All right, I've got, I mean, the obvious choice is Malloy, but he he's kind of way too obvious for it. I don't know. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, he's still an asshole. What do you have, Zach? You have, I was, was, was going to go with Cameron Poe's lawyer. I mean, what the hell? Taking a plea deal when it was self-defense? Getting seven years for that shit? Hey, listen, okay? Seven years is what Edward Norton got in 25th Hour. You're telling me that selling, dealing drugs and then beating up an asshole who's about to rape your wife? That's on the same level? Give me a break. This this lawyer is garbage, okay? He not, is- not only that, but having a plea, sounding like you have a plea deal in place for four years and then getting seven to ten? And then I also got to say, I think the judge is a little bit of a douchebag. What the hell? You're a you're a fighting machine. Therefore, therefore, you're not suspect to the same uh, laws that everyday people are. Like, what the hell? By the way, that also backs up my theory about uh, Cage being the biggest stick man because that would mean his dick is also a machine. So there we go. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Todd. Um, well, there's a few. I, I, I mean, I was going to say Scotty Dalton, which is the, the young boy that, 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 uh, picks on Casey and calls her names and has black teeth. Cause obviously that sounds like a douchebag, but he probably is only like five years old. Uh, Ooh. but the one I, wait, 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 what, what is this? The kid, the kid in the letter that's making fun of the daughter. Oh, okay. okay. Little Scotty Dalton. You should probably not hit that. Scotty Dalton or whatever. Uh, but Billy Bedlam is the is the real one because yeah. not only like I mean his, his crime sounds awful, but he killed the dog too, which makes it even worse. I mean that's just like ups your stick. You're not just stick man. You're douchebag uh, thing. Like like ten points. Like come on, it's not even her dog. What's that from? Oh, 
Band of Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> she wants the dog? It's not even her dog. It's my dog. It's Nixon when he hears he's getting a divorce. Okay, yes. that, there's my random there quote. Go. All right. <laughs> What's the best scene in this movie? Let's go. Let's go, Todd. Uh, well, uh, okay. There, I mean, my favorite scene probably is when they're introducing all the felons because it's almost like the this like narration thing where where they're just like talking about like the rap sheet of these guys and it's kind of awesome because you get to know everything about all those characters that you need to know going into this thing and it describes them in such a sort of nonchalant but also pretty awesome way and i mean and they, that sets the tone for their basically the rest of the movie and i mean i know it's like a montage thing those i almost shouldn't count for this but i i, I absolutely love that scene and i, I love that you get to know why they're in prison and why they're important and why Cameron Poe is not. <laughs> he's a nobody. He's a nobody. He's just, he's he's hitching a ride home. <laughs> yep. That's that's not bad. That's not bad. But yeah, because we've never seen that in a movie before. I've, I know. I mean, but it's been gr- in great movies. in this movie. It is great. All right. Uh, my favorite scene is uh, the couple times we see um, Steve Buscemi's character just sitting there talking to Cameron Poe and Michael T. Williams's character, Williamson's character, where you start to realize he might be the only sane one on the plane. And just all the stuff he's saying, and it's like, why are you the only one on this plane that makes any sense? Like all those scenes where you just hear Buscemi talking. Until he talks about how he wore a girl's head as a hat for 300 miles. No, I mean, no, that... but you've seen enough movies three and TV states. shows that you know that yeah, three states. That serial killers are have the highest IQ of like any criminals, right? Like you know, true. I mean, true. But yeah, that's it, how that works. Yeah. Anyways, I I I always thought that was such a fascinating part, and then and then like the creepiest scene is him with the little girl. And the fact that it all, and that he walks away from it and everything's good, I, that that's a really cool and so weirdly intense scene too. Don't you think he probably inspired Teabag in Prison Break? I feel like oh. those characters are so similar. In some ways, in some ways. Zach, what's your favorite scene? Yeah, I was thinking about the swimming pool scene. I don't know. I think it, it actually deducts a few points from this movie that there's no like great scenes in it. Um, I, I mean, you could you could pick the crash landing into Vegas. It's certainly the the most iconic scene and the scene I remembered the most. Uh, I personally, I you know, I'm I'm tempted to go with the scene where literally uh, Malkovich and Cage uh, square off on top of the uh, fire truck because it's so much like the climactic scene in speed. And he literally loses his head in almost the same way too. There's a lot of speed in this movie. Um, but I think I will maybe have to go with the scene with, uh, 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 Dave Chappelle's body falling from the sky and crash landing on the car because (laughs) I had not remember, I did not remember that scene in this movie at all. 
And that was so random. And what I love about it, too, is like that scene. OK, you know, the writers are laughing at this movie, OK, because th that scene has like a real strong, like comic beat to it. It's also the one scene without a guitar lick. It's just played uh, totally straight up, and uh, I, I love it. And I love the idea that somehow they could decipher the uh, the message on his uh, on, on his dead body uh, that somehow fell through the air thirty thousand feet. So, yeah, he fell out of the sky. I don't think he's an astronaut. I don't think that's actually how it works. But you know, Loki. Why are you raises, calling me? Loki. Your name's time. written all over him. <laughs> Pretty sure astronauts don't fall through like the earth like atmosphere all the way down. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't doesn't John McClane do something really similar in Die Hard? Doesn't he write on a body or something like that? I can't remember. I feel like this movie has a lot of Die Hard DNA. Now I have a I mean, gun. Ho ho ho. It's more like Die Hard 2. Well no, he 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 sends the body down with a written on it. Now I have a gun. Ho ho ho. Yeah, See, the fun. The funny thing is the about movie this feels movie, like more like Dire Two. This yeah. is why this movie could not have been remade today. So here's what would happen in Todd's bad recasting: is that they would turn it into like a Guardians of the Galaxy, totally self-aware movie. And this movie was made before <sighs> self-awareness. You know, so like there would be you know total fan service with like uh, nods to uh, John McClane, which there are not in this movie, at least not intentional. And so I love the not winking at the camera. That's honestly what makes this movie work so well. This, the makers of Spider-Man uh, No Way Home should have watched this movie for better inspiration. Well, this is something where it was back in the day where all you had to say was action movie Nicolas Cage and everyone went and watched. Mm -hmm. And and now that's not enough anymore. You can't just sell a movie off of who's in it. And so the 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 self the self-aware and the self-referential is what makes it work. Yeah, in fact, that was that was going to be my MVP for this movie was the lack of self-awareness. But I have mm -hmm. a few other picks too. Okay. Um, all right. If there were a sequel, I didn't have an answer for this I, I one, had one. But all right, Zach. Uh, so my sequel was um, that Con Air becomes Con's white collar cons. So you got like Jeff Bezos and Bernie Madoff and Elon Musk. Jeffrey all on a plane. Bezos and uh, Jeffrey Bezos. <laughs> Right, I don't sorry. really know. I don't know where it goes from there, but these guys are not very, very white collar cons. But uh, you know, get get the get the real. And then maybe Michael Moore is uh, you know the the John Cusack character or something. But uh, I, that's that's something I'd watch. I was thinking, like, I mean, you could make this an easy action movie. You put him on a boat, or you put him on a train, or another plane. Like, this is easy. You could easily make a sequel to this, right? On Air Two, Cruise Control. I love it. Yeah. Um. I mean, Actually, can you imagine this on a boat? Wouldn't that be awesome? Or a submarine? Come on, this is this is perfect. I think this movie did Con have a sequel. Boat, we're on a boat. This movie had a sequel, and it was called Suicide Squad. Like, the, I think this movie, the whole basis for this movie is Suicide Squad. Now that's you know that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Although this is better. But, you know, it's a generational thing. All right. Todd, do you have a sequel? I mean, I was just saying, like, you know, just put oh, it in yeah, a different yeah. setting. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. Perfect. Okay. Uh, let's see here. What's next? Flaws. Outdated. Conspiracy theories. 
I've got a great conspiracy theory. My conspiracy theory is the only reason Michael T. Williamson is in this movie is so that uh, he could be shot and lying in the arms of some trailer trash from Alabama and survive this time. Yeah, but see, that's what I mean. This movie is not ironic when it does that. It's like, I know, I know. It, a 2021 movie would do, you know, bullshit MCI, MCU shit and it would turn it into fan service. But this movie's genuine. There's no irony in that. And it's it's the third movie in like the in like a six year period starring Nicolas Cage where the climactic scene takes place on the Vegas Strip. Yeah, and it's not used as an homage. It's I mean, not there's not there's not even like a random Elvis impersonator that pops across the screen and walks away like that. That's like the yeah, but no, that's that's my uh, that's my thing. That that's my conspiracy theory. That's the only reason Bubba's in this movie is so Bubba can live. After laying in the in the arms of his best friend, the um, the guy from Alabama, after he was shot, well, you were shot. Yeah, that that was a better Southern accent, by the way. Well, I was gonna say Forrest this movie, one one thing that kind of surprised me rewatching this movie is it's really not a love story between Cage and Monica Potter. It's a love story between Cage and 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 Bubba because. Listen, I mean, he is he he sacrifices. He actually puts his wife and daughter, you know, as secondary. He goes back to the plane. That's what that whole scene is about. John Cusack saying, you know, why would he not get off the plane? Has he been institutionalized so long that he doesn't want to go back to free society? No, it's because he loves Baby O or Bubba, whatever you want to call him. And I do have to say, one of my conspiracy theories is that Baby O definitely got diabetes from eating those ho hos, uh, those the, the the orange ho hos, because uh, eating a lot of those and the Cool Ranch Doritos not good for blood sugar levels let me tell you i gotta find baba i i miss michael t williams great great actor i mean was what was dead? the last significant thing he did was Fences? Fences? yeah that's what i was thinking is he alive i think I'm so sure. i don't think he died i don't remember yeah that. he's still alive what do you say you miss him I, I mean, I haven't seen him in anything in like 20 years. <laughs> Fences. I don't remember him in Fences, but I'd have he, to go back and watch it. He's the crazy brother. Okay. That's just like walks the streets spouting random stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at his he's filmography. I'm not seeing a lot of stuff that I saw. Apparently, he was Charlene's stepfather in Get Rich or Die Trying. I don't, I don't remember that. Lucky number 11. Yeah, he's a pr- pretty big Justified, the TV show. Hawaii Five O. We need a Michael T. Williams comeback. Those are all pretty big things. They're just not things that you watch. True. My only flaw that I had was that how Larkin finds like the puzzle thing that that uh, Cyrus made is the dumbest thing ever. Like, I agree. He's, he's got this picture <laughs> with these holes in it, and it's like a third of a page, like top to bottom, and he puts it over the page just in like the perfect spot where it's gonna get the right letters. It's like he didn't even adjust it at all. Like he he just like put it over. He's like, oh, look at this. It's starting to make a word or something like that. I'm, I've never understood that. I'm like, well, what if you put it like a quarter of an inch down? Oh, it would have been a different series of letters. And then he would have. I mean, it's just one of those like stupid action movie things. Die Hard with a Vengeance level stupid. Yeah, that's a good one. It it it's it's very much Simon Says. 
I agree. Yes. It's I, I felt like a lot of movies in the nineties did that. I feel like like uh Don't Say a Word, that Michael Douglas movie did something similar. And I think um that one Sigourney Weaver did movie did it too. Um, well, sure. I mean copycat. even in the line of fire does that in the yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um I can I say a flaw? I, I've yep. said a couple flaws, but another flaw that I had was uh what the hell is with the tape recorder in this movie? The tape recorder that rolls out from the guy who was on the plane. Like, what is this? The 1940s? Do you use that? You actually use the magnetic tape to do a tape recorder? I think we've advanced the technology a little bit since then. But, you know, does he have a hand projector that he can, you know, hand crank it so he can hear the confession or whatever? Like, come on. But, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Jerry Bruckheimer said, hey, let's keep this movie visual because audiences, you know, they're not the most sophisticated. So let, let's just keep it, you know, something that's uh, obvious in terms of its signification. We're not we're not exactly uh, reading Lacan here, okay? Not exactly uh, semiotics. Uh, all right, are we ready to move on? Yeah. MVP, MVP, and Please. wrap this thing up. Yes. All right, I'll go first. My LVP is uh, Sandino because he messes the whole thing up. If it wasn't for him, like screwing the pooch, this whole thing would have gone pretty flawlessly but uh yeah he's definitely the lvp and the mvp is swamp thing mm-hmm. because i mean he he crash landed that thing on the vegas strip and i mean he's a he's a he's a fine pilot but when was the last time he was in a simulator <laughs> and the thing the answer is a long time ago because he's been in prison and um yeah, he 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 does an awesome job like throughout the entire movie. So Swamp you, Thing's my MVP. Were you egging him on, Terry, by saying, "Come on, rookie, park that thing." Come on, rookie, to, park that thing. <laughs> yeah, about to crash land. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, if he doesn't if he doesn't land this, we don't have a mission. Um, <laughs> <laughs> very true. <laughs> All right, Todd, what do you got? Uh, my LVP was. Basically, like the whole planning of how they're gonna do the Con Air thing, because like, why, why were they stopping in Carson City? Why Carson City? Yeah. Why were they stopping? Like, I mean, Lots can they just stops. get another flight? Like, I mean, I don't understand why they had to like use this flight to drop these people off. It makes no sense, and it really was just like awful and on on the part of all law enforcement. And my MVP is Leanne Rhymes and Diane Warren <laughs> because that song. <laughs> To me, is a great movie climax song because I get emotional every time I hear that song. It is a great use of that song. That scene is super <laughs> emotional. I love that song, and I don't understand. Like the LVP could be the Razzies for nominating that for worst original song, but it is is a fantastic song and a great moment in the movie. Yeah, that song pulled a Glenn Close. It got nominated for a Razzie and an Oscar, and that that is that is a rare feat. Yeah, I know, and it, I don't understand it. It's a, it's a, I don't. How is that a Razzie worthy song? I mean, it's a good song, but it, yeah, it so is. doesn't fit. That's this is is such. It is a romance with like this huge action prevalence in the background. Yeah, yeah, I can see that too. All right, Zach. <laughs> All right, my LVP of this movie, I have two things written down. I have diabetes, because that's the whole reason that Cage uh, stays 
on the plane. And without that, then uh, Vegas probably stays intact. And then I was also going to put geography because this movie clearly doesn't understand geography. Um, I feel like the plane just circles like a 50 mile like radius or something. Like it just keeps going around in a circle like the bus in, at the airport and speed at the end. Um, I'm not sure where this plane is going. Uh, it makes no sense. Uh, MVP of this movie, I wrote down uh, Bunnies uh, and uh, Guitar Licks. This, this movie has some awesome guitar licks, but bit written by the composer of the Speed soundtrack, Mark Mancina. By the way, the, the opening logo to this movie almost pulls a speed because it pops up on screen and then you zoom into it. Uh, I like that a lot. But yeah, the guitar licks. Uh, I feel like we need Jack Black and School of Rock to, to, to sing that out. Um, and it also felt very Top Gun as well. But uh, yeah, it's a drinking game, every guitar lick in this movie. And uh, you're guaranteed to have a good time. That was All a right. that was a Bruckheimer staple. <laughs> okay, uh, moving on. Let's wrap this up. Quote of the daytime. Uh, let's see here. Let's go. Let's go, Zach first. Quote of the day. All right, my day. My quote of the day comes from Nicolas Cage in uh, this wonderful movie we just talked about, and uh, I can't remember exactly when he says this, but it's a great line that I wrote down. He says. It's not exactly my ties and Yahtzee out here, but let's do it. It's the way I feel every time we get on this podcast. It sounded like a surfer, dude. <laughs> and I like it. Well, yeah, my wife says that my Nicolas Cage impression is the same as my Keanu Reeves impression. So, yeah, mm. that's what it sounded mm. like. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Todd, what do you got? Uh, well, the quote I always quote from this movie is, gotta ga bag them and gag them. Rough crew, got spitters and shitters. I don't know. I don't know why I quote that, but I do. I, and it's just Malkovich. <laughs> Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich. All right. Uh, my quote is, uh, is from, um, a, a man who, uh, who was born and raised in Alabama. And uh, watch his watch his best friend played by Michael T. Williamson get shot. I'm talking about Forrest Gump, and uh, and this I think describes not only Con Air but I think it describes Licorice Pizza too. And it's uh, it, the quote is wherever I was going, I was running. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's all I could think of as I was watching Licorice Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> i saved it for the end all right with that we're gonna draw this podcast to a close thank you guys so much for listening we'll be back at you next week with our top 10 movies of 2021 so stay tuned for that until then have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side despite your cross behavior i'm glad we were able to do this together